Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone you meet is either an enemy, an obstacle, a trap, or a puzzle. So says one of the characters in the recent novel, The Nicks. And it's a book that has stayed with me, and this line in particular. It's a big 600-page book, but it's an exploration of this theme. Everyone you meet is either an enemy, an obstacle, a trap, or a puzzle. You have to be careful, one character says, with people who are puzzles and people who are traps. A puzzle can be solved, but a trap cannot. Usually what happens is you think someone's a puzzle until you realize they're a trap but then it's too late. That's the trap. The great good in our world is to move from seeing other people as enemies or as obstacles or as traps to seeing them as puzzles, as mysteries. If you choose to see people as puzzles and if you see yourself as a puzzle, then you will be constantly delighted because eventually, if you dig deep enough into anybody, if you really look under the hood of someone's life, you will find something familiar. Enemy, obstacle, trap, puzzle. The four ways of seeing people. In this morning's gospel, we have a challenge of how one sees the world. In some ways, Jesus employs the use of puzzles or parables to expose the ways that his hearers live in the world of enemy, obstacle, and trap. Take Peter, for example. He lives in the world of obstacle. In his previous exchange with Jesus last week, or it's the, it's the passage um, directly preceding this one, he tells Jesus that he and the disciples have left everything to join the kingdom of God. We have left our past lives. We used to be on the wrong team, living in sin and separation from God, but now we've left everything and joined up with you, the winning team, and we are ready to win. The world is now an obstacle to be overcome. And the winning team to do it will be the Christians. You don't have to use very much imagination to see the way this logic has worked itself out through Christian history. Slavery and the Crusades being two manifestations of obstacle thinking. The passage right after this morning's parable is a conversation between James and John and Jesus. And they tell him how they want to sit at his right and left when he comes into his kingdom. They want to join up on team judgment, meet justice out to the enemies of the kingdom of God. Some good old enemy thinking there. Enemy obstacle trap or puzzle. So the parable. It's a story about a landowner who hires people to do work in his vineyard, and he hires day laborers, possibly immigrants, surely not people of status. He agrees to pay them a day's wage. A few hours later, he goes and hires more laborers, and then a few hours later, another bunch. Why are you noodling around out here? I've got work for you. Come on board. And what strikes me is that when you read this parable, you get the sense that the people employed are gaining something of an identity by accepting the work. No one would hire us. No one would take the risk on us. We had a bad record, maybe a felony on the books. 
and the vineyard worker says, come. But things get puzzling when it gets time for the payout. The workers all come up to the manager, and those first ones with more sweat on their brow think that they'll be handed more money. It doesn't happen. They all receive the same. The full day worker and the Johnny come late. All are paid what they were promised. Now at this point, we want to stomp our foot. It's not fair. Is this a puzzle or a trap? Remember that opening quote, puzzles can be solved, traps cannot. Is this a trap? Socialist, some of us cry out to the landowner. The day-long workers are miffed, understandably so. They probably first saw the landowner as a puzzle, but now they see him as, I don't know, maybe an enemy. But then did you catch what the landowner says? The first words to this angry and bristling worker? His first word, friend. Isn't that wonderful? Want to diffuse a situation, want to transcend the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, see through the frustration and see the heart that is just like yours and say, friend. When the landowner says this, in my mind, he opens up a whole new world, a world where the first will be last and the last will be first. And he takes the monochrome of enemy obstacle trap puzzle and he transforms it into a technicolor world of grace, abundance, and friendship. I think one of the primary tasks of Christians in our day is to meet our world of enemy, obstacle, trap, and puzzle with a new way of being. It sounds so simple, but it can be very radical. A friend of mine recently turned me on to the documentary An Accidental Courtesy. Any of you seen that documentary, An Accidental Courtesy? It's the story of Daryl Davis, a jazz musician of notable repute who keeps up a rather odd hobby on the side. Daryl likes talking to and befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan. And what makes this especially odd is that Daryl is African-American. How can you hate me, he asks, if you don't know me? He shakes hands with hate and meets it with friendship. It's one of the most magnificent stories I've come across. There's one scene when he heard that some Klan members were looking for a bus to rent for one of their rallies. Why don't you use my bus, he said. Daryl is a musician and owns a bus for his touring. Uh, you know we're the clan, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you can use my bus. So they borrowed his bus, they did their clan rally thing, then brought the bus back to Daryl's house, where he invited them in to sit at his kitchen table. Can I get you something to drink? He asks. I'm dead serious. This is on Netflix. You can, you can watch it. <laughs> uh, and do you know what Daryl collects? This is, this is crazy. He collects KKK robes that belong to former Klansmen who have left the Klan because of their friendship with him. He has dozens of them, tons of them. 
the entire Klan organization in his home state of Maryland collapsed because its highest ranking members were Daryl's friends. So far, 200 people have left the Klan because of friendship with Daryl. Now, Daryl, of course, does draw some antagonism from certain uh, segments. How can you be friends with something so full of hate? Isn't that implicitly approving of it? Daryl responds to his critics by showing them to his closet full of robes. And he asks his critics, how many robes have you collected? Friend, the vineyard owner says. Friend, says Daryl Davis. You see, the world so often lives in, the, in, the, in that world of enemy, obstacle, trap, puzzle. But oh, the power of that fifth category that never got mentioned. It can transform a history of racism. It can change the world. Isn't that the heart of the gospel, too? I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends, says Jesus. What grace to be called a friend of God. Maybe we aren't the best workers in the field. I know I'm not. Maybe we don't feel like we pray enough, do enough, believe enough, or love enough. But we come to the vineyard owner every week, and he gives us his love, and he calls us his friends extends to us identity and belonging. And to find yourself being friended when you don't feel like you deserve it, to find the friendship of God getting a little more down into your bones, that could change the world. And I am convinced that in all of our lives, there is one person at least who is estranged and is looking like the vineyard workers for belonging. They have scrambled and scrambled in the world of enemy, obstacle, trap, and puzzle. And God has you in their life for a special reason. To utter that fifth word. The word of the gospel. The word of life. It's such a simple word. Who knew sharing the gospel could be so easy? But it can change the world. It'll make somebody hang up their robes of hate only to find themselves clothed in the grace of Christ, the grace of friendship. Is the Christian life really any harder than reaching out and saying, how are you, friend? Can I get you something to drink? Amen. <laughs>